This is Lori Forster, the wine coach with The Sipping Point. And on the line, we have Eric Asimov, the chief wine critic for The New York Times and author of How to Love Wine, A Memoir and a Manifesto. Ooh, that sounds a little scary. (laughs) Eric, though. Not at all. Oh, I love it. You were just, I was at the James Beard Award, and you were just inducted as one of the 2013 James Beard Foundation Who's Who of Food and Beverage in America. So congratulations, we're celebrating today. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, uh, what did it mean? Because James Beard is such an influential group in all things foodie and in the wine world. What did it mean to get that award? Well, for me, it's, it's recognition of, uh, uh, of something I've been doing a, a long time. And I guess it's a, you know, it's a little bit scary because I don't feel as if I'm old enough to... Uh, <laughs> You know, received the plaque for lifetime achievement. Yet I'm still going strong. Right, right. But um, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's very funny. You start out as a as a young guy, and you're you know in love with with food and wine. And uh, I I still am twenty years later, and I still feel like a young guy. But um, now there's a lot more younger people than me. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I've often thought I, I switched careers from software into the wine world about a little over 10 years ago. And it does seem like sometimes it's a hard industry to break into and feel like you're an insider, if you will. Does this kind of give you that stamp that, you know, you're part of the in crowd or? <laughs> Absolutely not. You're um, cool now. You no, know, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm born with an outsider's perspective, I think. And, uh, and I think that's, uh, always what I have. You know, I'm, uh, a, a journalist, uh, mm. first and last. And, um, you know, I, I report to, uh, to my readers and, and they're the people that I answer to, my readers and, and my editors. I, I'll never, uh, think like a food world insider or, or act like one, I hope. Well, that, that's a great segue because I wanted to talk about your new book, How to Love Wine, A Memoir and a Manifesto. And you say some very controversial things in the book, I guess, you know, for those uh, of us in the wine world. And one of them, um, if I'm saying this right, is that you don't believe in tasting notes which it seems like the whole, you know, when I was calling you a critic, I felt like maybe that was the wrong word because you don't believe <laughs> you don't believe in tasting notes. So, well, you know, it's not that I don't believe in in trying to describe wines, but I think that the um, the method that uh, we've come to expect for talking about wines in in our country, the vocabulary we use, mm-hmm. is, is not at all helpful in understanding or explaining the pleasure of wine. It doesn't really communicate what's uh, important about uh, particular wines. Okay. So what so instead of a tasting note and I feel like the story of the wine, the Well, the um, sp- you know, if we want to talk about wine, it it does nobody good, I I don't think to try to uh, describe in microscopic detail every um, nuance of a flavor or aroma that we might detect. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody buys wines or selects wines because it 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 tastes like uh, black cherry rather than red cherry or or fig compote rather than uh, <laughs> fig pudding. You right. know, it, it's it's silliness. 
Um, what's important if you're if you're describing a wine to uh, you know somebody in the trade or or somebody like that, you want to talk generally in terms of uh, the structure of a wine, the character of a wine, mm-hmm. um, the purpose of a wine. But you know the the esoteric detail that we go into uh you know to my mind it's it's just to entertain the writer to so you don't get bored writing dozens and dozens of 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 tasting notes for the back of a consumer magazine but um you know i'm i'm beginning to think that in you know for people who really care about wine um, that's not the way we need to communicate wine anymore. It's a, we we live in a much more uh, decentralized world than we did uh, 20 years ago, where there were one or two major critical voices uh, uh, about wine. Right. Um, today, you know, aside from from the internet, uh, I think that uh, sommeliers, wine merchants, are are a lot more confident and taken a lot and ought to be taken a lot more seriously. They no longer uh, abdicate their role to uh, you know the wine spectator or Robert Parker or somebody like that, and uh, they're in a position to to know their stocks. Um, know which wines go with which foods, mm-hmm. and it's a lot uh, uh, more useful to talk to somebody local there than it is to look, uh, you know, onto your your phone for some uh, score from so, for somebody sitting somewhere <laughs> far away. Right, and I, I used to work at Astor Wines in Manhattan, and... One of my favorite stores. It's a great store. And I I would get people that would come in uh, and they, you know, have their listing of these wines that somebody gave all 90 points to. And, you know, there might be a Barolo on there. And I didn't have that particular one, but I had another one that was a great wine. And I tried to really get people to, you know, loosen up on that. You know, it's a great maybe place to look at some ideas, but this store, we've got great wines. If you want an Albarino, maybe it's not the one on the list, but I've got a great one that you'll really enjoy. So I think uh, you're right, because a lot of those wines people will never see in their market. You know, I, I've um, thought a lot about this, and, and uh, you know, the, everything that we communicate as a culture about wine is, is intended, it seems to me, to... Um, Uh, it makes people feel as if you can't really enjoy wine unless you're actually a connoisseur, unless you've developed this whole rational understanding of of wine, how it's made, what equipment is used, what what the dirt is that the grapes grow in. And, you know, we have neglected the emotional component of simply developing a healthy relationship with wine. And so that's why I call my book How to Love Wine. It's not, it's not that anybody needs a lesson in that. It's just a way of, of trying to transfer, transform the equation mm. uh, to say we don't need to be a connoisseur. We don't need to know everything about wine before we can enjoy it. We need to decide whether we like it or not. And if mm-hmm. we like it enough to want to pursue this knowledge, that's great. It can add a lot of value to, to how you experience wine, but, but you can enjoy it just fine without knowing a, a hell of a lot about it. Right. And I loved in the you know opening of the book, 
you say, and it's so true, you know, if, if you're enjoying a specific kind of food or cheese, you know, we don't expect that we have to know everything about how that cheese was made in the, you know, region it comes from. We can just enjoy it and know what it's called. But with wine, there's this pressure <laughs> that we have to know so much more, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it, to me, it, it, it just creates obstacles because, you know, we live in an era now, it, it may be the greatest era in history to be a, a, a wine drinker. You have more great wines from more parts of the world made in more different styles for more different grapes than, than ever before. And any, any sort of obstacle or impediment that gets in the way of this pleasure is a problem. I agree. And um, I really love this book. And I love that you're stirring the pot and um, really kind of giving people the freedom to just I love that develop a relationship with wine and love wine rather than have to study it. Right? Yes. And you know, if, if you want to, if you fall in love with wine, and it's so interesting that you want to study it, by all means, that's a great thing. I'm not telling anybody that that they shouldn't study wine or that wine's an easy subject to tackle. Uh, you know, I, I don't really believe in this whole um, uh, demystification. You know, wine, wine, wine in in all its glory is a is a complicated thing, but mm-hmm. it's also a simple thing. Right. I love that. And complicated and simple. Uh, your book is a great uh, way for people just to read, you know, how you think it can be a wonderful enjoyment without all of the pressure and intimidation and great stories from you about what you know about wine. And it's called How to Love Wine, a memoir and a manifesto. Eric Asimov, the chief wine critic for the New York Times. How can folks, um, if they want to read your articles, just go to the NewYorkTimes.com? Yes. And it's um, in the, the dining and wine section. Perfect. And, um, you know, in the physical newspaper, my column is out every Wednesday. On the web, sometimes it's posted the, uh, the Thursday or Friday before. It's not quite clear yet to me exactly <laughs> when it goes up, uh, whenever they're ready for it, though. Great. Well, I'm, I'm a fan. We're here in the Baltimore, D.C. market, but I read your work all the time. Thank you so much, and congratulations again for being in the who's who of food and beverage in America with the 2013 James Beard Foundation Award. And thanks for being on The Sipping Point. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here with you. All right. We'll be back to talk to Isabella Wojcik from the James Beard Foundation on The Sipping Point. Discover the recipe for a delicious life each week on The Sipping Point with Lori Forster, the wine coach, each week, Saturdays at noon on WBAL 1090 AM or at WBAL.com. listening to The Sipping Point. This is Lori Forster, the wine coach, and I am so excited now that we're celebrating the James Beard Awards, which just took place. I have on the line with me Isabella Wojcik, and she's the director of house programming 
for the James Beard Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to celebrating, nurturing, and preserving our cultural and diverse heritage with food and drink. And she oversees more than 250 special events. Oh my gosh, I'm stressing out just thinking about it <laughs> at the historic James Beard House and basically has a Rolodex of the who's who in the food and wine world to pick from. And her responsibility is to engage that and create events that are going to be of interest to foodies and other people in the world of food and wine. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Lori. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. What a great intro. <laughs> oh, well, you know, you, you've done all the work. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just recapping. And I did have the pleasure of being at Lincoln Center for the James Beard Awards. And I have to tell you, you know, you know, that sort of event, there's a lot of buildup, right? And it just lived up to everything I expected and more uh, from the people, you know, we had, um, presenting the awards to the food, the wine, the whole setting. You have to be so proud. We are, we're, we're thrilled, to be honest. We think it's our best year ever. I mean, this is, you know, obviously an annual award. There's a lot of anticipation going into it. I deal with chefs. We're hosting events at the Beard House, so I deal with chefs day-to-day who, uh, you know, are hoping maybe one day to be recognized through the awards, who are maybe nominated, maybe they're semifinalists. So there's a lot of anticipation kind of out there in the world, and it's very palpable here at the Beard House. That process starts in October or kind of mid-fall where any chef, any restaurant, any professional can put forth themselves for consideration. Um, restaurants, uh, chefs can do that. Books, uh, food journalism has slightly different criteria, different protocol, and restaurant design, restaurant graphics. But essentially, mm-hmm. we go through the fall, we go through the winter, and then in mid-February, we release um, the list of semifinalists. So that is specifically for restaurants, regional and national for chefs, for food and wine professionals. Uh, you know, we added a mixology kind of bar program category uh, last year. Um, the books, the journalism, the food media has a separate announcement, but we announced the semifinalists to kind of show the world who we're considering. So at that point, you know, it's either gasps of, oh my God, I can't believe they know I, I have this restaurant, I'm on this list, or I can't believe I didn't make that list. And that's mm. in February. By March, we're announcing officially the 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 um, nominees, and Great. that's you know one of those will be called and picked as the winner and announced at this Oscar-like ceremony at Lincoln Center, which you just witnessed. So there's that anticipation, excitement, disappointment. Um, but we're trying to create an awards program that is um, both you know very much uh, saying to the world, you know, this is an award, this is recognition, this is special, this is not the only kind of career achievement there is, but this is definitely a spectacle. This is recognizing all of the hard work and dedication and passion and, you know, maybe even mojo. Um, and <laughs> so we love the fact that it is set in this really, you know, revered, exalted place, Lincoln Center. There's a red carpet. There's food paparazzi. There's general <laughs> population and tourists kind of milling about, uh, wondering, like, what's going on over there? There's so, so much ballyhoo. So right. it adds to the kind of New York spectacle that's happening anyway, and then it's this grand stage, and, you know, it's the speeches, and it's the guest host, who's the right. MC. We were so fortunate to have Oliver Platt this year, um, and I we think, you know, we think fans. he did a great job. Um, he kept the show tight. It was well done. The speeches were short. Uh, so I think, you know, we came in under the kind
kind of time frame that we hoped. And then, of course, the, the more fun is to be had afterwards at the reception. Um, mm-hmm. And Lincoln Center, as you can imagine, is quite challenging to have the kind of food, the kind of food stations, the caliber of cooking that we're trying to showcase. But we're a food organization. If we can't pull off good food, then forget it. We should just hang up our hats and go home. You oh, know? So you, you we're, we're so proud. Um, we are so, so proud. Thank well, you. Well, it, w- it was beautiful, and there was so much to taste and sample that there was mm-hmm. really no way to do it all. But that's what right. made it so exciting. You know, there were multiple levels. And I'm a big fan of Oliver Platt's, and he did bring great, you know, comedy uh, and levity to to the occasion, which was wonderful. And um, you also had Sam Cass, who was mm-hmm. the assistant Absolutely. White House chef. And that was really exciting. So it's kind of become, you know, the food world where now the celebrities are probably, you know, banging down your door to get involved in these things, right? Well, and there's Debbie Mazar, who's an actress who was on Entourage kind of most recently. You know, she, uh, it's very telling, she was a presenter, mm-hmm. but she was asked because she and her husband, Gabrielli, have a cooking show. I saw so I that. Think, you know, and, and then I think about Gwyneth Paltrow and her blog and her cookbooks and her love of food. So I definitely think, um, you know, James Beard talked about food being this common ground. Um, you know, we all have to eat, we all have to drink. I think our interests, um, come from, you know, the places where we're born, where we're raised, the heritage, the kind of values that are instilled in us. But as humans, we still have to eat. And Mm -hmm. I think James Beard would have been thrilled to know how central of a role food, um, you know, plays both in terms of, you know, the lack of it and the absolute, um, you know, obesity, poverty that's linked, that's out there, and the really tough food issues. Right. But but the flip side is how much celebration goes into what happens on the plate, you know, and how right. coming together at the table um, is so important, both culturally, both as as entertainment, as a lifestyle, as a hobby, uh, as a way to nourish and, and exchange. So I feel um, I'm not surprised that sort of the rest of the world is catching on. You know, mm-hmm. people in the food world has, has, has sort of – it's a place that I think um, – you know, attracts kind of this this band of misfits, you know, passionate, interesting, <laughs> crazy people. And uh, we've always, you know, loved food because we've recognized all these things that it brings. Right. That sense of community and adventure and coolness. And now it's like that coolness factor um, is spreading to just the general public. And I see it here at the Beard House and certainly, you know, you're seeing it in uh, celebrity world. And so I think it was also very timely that the theme was kind of, you know, where food and film and entertainment kind of get you know the the nexus of that intersection i love it and i got to um, have a quick interview with ted allen Mm -hmm. that night while i was there which aired last weekend but one of the other things that i thought about is that i thought it was such a great experience and just the the creativity in the room and all the immense people even just the people attending um Mm -hmm. the the vibe and the energy is so positive and it's just you can leave with a smile on your face and so i thought maybe you could kind of give us an idea if their folks are listening here to the show what are some exciting events you have coming up where should folks go if they want to check out more about the james beard foundation and the events at the house 
sure. So jamesbeard.org um, is a great website because it certainly, you know, it gives you more information about the foundation, gives you our calendar of events so you can see what's going on both at the Beard House in Manhattan as well as uh, various events. We do special events around the country that kind of bring this sort of an experience um, to a different community, a different place, and it supports our culinary scholarship program and our educational mission. So we have right. events going around the country. Um, and then we certainly have special events that are in New York. Um, we have a really fun one coming up in the Hamptons. So anyone who's going to be in the Hamptons on July 20th. I saw is, that. Um, you know, it is set at a beautiful winery. It's very elegant. It is as chic as can be, you know, 30 chefs uh, that you will know and recognize preparing food at different stations. So that's an example of something that's in New York, but not at the Beard House, but it's for a thousand people with a whole VIP component. So it's a very different kind of an animal. It's called um, Chefs and Champagne. Chefs and Champagne. <laughs> I love that. Couldn't, you know, we, we, we get right to the point. There's chefs and there's lots of champagne. It's two of um, my favorite things. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, Isabella, I think next to me, you have one of the best jobs I've ever heard of. <laughs> I love talking to you. You're so much fun, and I'm very envious of all these events you get to plan and attend. Um, and I know our listeners really enjoyed having you on The Sipping Point, and I hope you'll come back again. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You oh, take cheers. care of yourself. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers to you, Lori. Thanks.